Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your Heart in the Paint podcast, the NBA podcast, where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I'm your host, Matt, and again, joined by Michael. And today on this April 16th, episode number 42, wonderful Tuesday to talk about some NBA playoff action. Most importantly, everybody's played one game by now. A couple people have played two, and I've got to say it's been... Pretty much unexpected so far. Say it's been more surprising than not, just as a whole. But uh, before we get into that, we of course would love to give a special shout out to our sponsor for this week of Heart in the Paint podcast, and that is And we'd like to thank them for their special sponsorship on this wonderful episode of Heart in the Paint podcast. And so with that, let's just hop right into it. Uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on Charles Barkley's comments that because LeBron is not doing anything uh, this offseason, he should have some airtime with the TNT crew calling some of these games? He's probably not playing on the court basketball, but he's got to prep for Space Jam too. He's got to get into that live action Lilo and Stitch movie. LeBron's actually probably got a bigger workload than Charles Barkley. I mean, okay, so LeBron did respond. He said, you know, I'd be down to do it. I got to find some time, though. So, I mean, you know, a little bit of a tease. I could honestly see, like, a surprise album drop of Victor Oladipo and LeBron James around the Eastern Conference Finals time. Ooh. And that wouldn't be tampering, right? How could it be? Magic is gone. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it'd be cool. I think, uh, you know, if you put LeBron there, you know, with Shaq, and and Charles and all those guys that that'd be good for like a night. I think, I think it'd be exciting. I don't know, you know, what game are they covering that night if they get LeBron? <laughs> uh, I mean, they just call it like King's Court, right? I don't know. They do some kind of spin on Game of Thrones. But are they like watching a Boston game, or are they like, you know, watching a Golden State game? Like, what what games are on TV the night uh, they grab LeBron? Philly Philly would be the most interesting, like a Philly Brooklyn. Because you know how much he loves Embiid and Ben Simmons. And it's just more stuff to talk about with those guys. Uh, you can't put him on Golden State. That's just weird. You're not going to waste him on Toronto. You're not going to waste him on like a Boston-Indiana series. Um, Portland OKC. Oh, you could probably do Houston, because then you can do the CP3 angle. Get Mellow on as well. And Wade. Get Oh, get LeBron, Wade, Mellow, Bosch. You found our next uh, Inside the NBA crew brought to you by American Express. It is the banana boat. This is what they've been doing this whole time. So what series uh, jumped out to you over the weekend out of all the games? How many of the games did you watch? Did you watch all the games? I watched. I had the TV on, but I wasn't like really watching a ton of them. But there was a okay, couple yeah, I actually was... sat down and watched. Yeah, I pretty much had the TV or, you know, NBA streams on in the background in, like, everything I was doing. The only games that I, like, truly actively watched were uh, Philly Nets, both of those games. Um, first half of the Houston Jazz game. Portland OKC, definitely. Uh, that's probably about it. Everything else I just kind of had in the background. Yeah, so I, I, I actively watched the... The Bucks Pistons game, which was didn't take me long to turn that one off. 
the first the, the Portland OKC game was was on my list as well as uh both of the Clippers games with the Warriors. I saw both of those. Um so I think probably my favorite Actually, why don't we just go down in order? So first game, Golden State versus the Clippers. Key takeaways there for me was uh really just for the entirety of the playoffs in general. It seemed like teams weren't 100% in playoff mode for that first game. There's a lot of a lot of turnovers day one, a lot of just like kind of nerves, a little jitteriness, especially by the younger teams, a lot of errant passes, people trying to go too fast, do too much kind of things. That was just kind of my overall like day one sort of takeaway. Yeah, the two things that really stood out to me were this regular season, there's been a real emphasis on pace and space. And then it kind of everybody try to slow down and some people are better at slowing down than others. Like others just kind of hit the wall. Um, you kind of saw that with Philly in game one where they really like to get out and transition, but it doesn't really work all the time in the playoffs where shot selection and possessions matter a little bit more. And then the other takeaway was actually very reminiscent of last year's world cup where a lot of the smaller nations. So nations like, Croatia or maybe Russia, you know, in terms of footballing power, it was like they managed to play up to their level of competition and knock off some of the heavy favorites. And the first round, we saw Orlando, Brooklyn, the Clippers in game two, Portland even, um, kind of give everybody trouble, um, especially with like a lack of like all-star parity. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. We've seen... I think if you had, if I was like a betting man and was betting on, there would be three lower seeds that win the first game in the like first set, or maybe, oh wait, no, it's two technically because Toronto and Brooklyn. I wouldn't have bet on that. I mean, Orlando and Brooklyn, sorry. I wouldn't have taken that bet. I would have been like, oh, there's no way like Toronto loses to Orlando game one at home, or like Philly loses to Brooklyn game one at home. I think the big one was the Toronto Orlando series. I, I, I did mean, not see that coming. <laughs> oh, and yeah, I guess the Spurs at Denver too, right? That was an upset, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you could kind of, you could kind of think that Pop would figure it out, that somehow they would figure out how to expose the Joker, and they kind of did. Even though he got a triple double, it was like, kind of like a ineffective type of triple double, but. I don't know. I'm very shocked by how well Orlando was. Like, fucking DJ Augustine. You, <laughs> the game <geez>. winner. <laughs> if you had told me that DJ Augustine was going to hit a game winner in game one. <laughs> oh, man. But, that, like, out of all the games in the East, that's probably the one I'm, like, the least interested in, uh, which is kind of sad because it's, like, Toronto's a pretty good favorite to win the whole thing for the East, at least. Yeah. Um,. I guess who stood out to you in terms of players or I think a guys big that thing, jumped off the screen. Big thing that stuck out to me was I've been watching uh, the uh, Clippers Warriors series is the one I've been catching in depth mostly because I know it's kind of way too late for your East Coast folks to get the hang of this, but uh, not. I don't want to get into the the game last night right away, but. Uh, I'm really impressed, and I think I said this before the playoffs started, is uh, Shemet and Shea Gilgis are just, like, so solid 
Like, it almost reminds me of that kind of weird problem Boston had last year where they had, like, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and they were like, it feels like the same team, minus they don't actually have the star that's injured. They're just, like, don't have the star yet. <laughs> so it, they have these kind of just, like, stud performers, rookies that know, you know, when to pass it, when to shoot it, play hard. I mean, Schmidt had, like, some crazy steals, uh, you know, passing up a shot, you know, end of game, clutch scenarios, making threes. I mean, I'm really impressed by these two guys. I think we need to be talking more about in terms of uh, maybe potential trade pieces, but also like pretty good support pieces going forward. Yeah, I was really looking forward to the Lou Williams, Montrez, Harrell pick and roll game. So I just figured whoever Golden State plays at center isn't going to be able to kind of do it right with Boogie and Bogut or even Kevon Looney like it just seemed like that was the natural instinct for a coach like Doc who would figure it out that oh let me just keep running pick and roll with um, you know basically my bench guys and you know they played really well in game one obviously they didn't win and then game two that was kind of the thing that really broke that team was just Montrez Harrell and the bench guys you know led by Lou Williams but it, uh, you know, it really stuck out to me that if Kawhi was on that team, that just seems like the perfect thing. It's like you got Montrezl Harrell, you got Lou Williams, you got Shamit and SGA who are like pretty lengthy. Yeah, they're big guys. guys. Yeah, and then you throw in Kawhi, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that like that team's going to the conference finals somehow. I think, like, so the uh, biggest comeback in NBA playoff history, 31 points last night with the Clippers coming back from a ridiculous uh, second quarter by Golden State, only to outscore them uh, to close out the game in pretty clutch fashion. I mean, uh, I guess this is a perfect time to pull up, you know, early in that game, uh, Boogie gets a steal and tries to sprint on a fast break and has torn something in his quad at this point. And it looked pretty bad from... Uh, the slow-mo, and uh, they showed him kind of walking, you know, in the tunnel and everything, and you could just see his, like, quad is just all rolled up, you know, way up his thigh, so that's, he's probably gone. I think it's partially torn. I think it's actually partially torn, and he's he's definitely out now for the season. Yeah. Probably well into next season, which pretty much hurts his contract value and kind of bookends the whole Kentucky class of 2009. Yeah, this is really sad. I mean, this is, you know, guy that was going to get there last year at the Pelicans got injured at the end of the year. Now, same thing happened this year. I mean, you got to feel bad for this dude at some point, even with all of his chemistry issues. Yeah, I don't know if he can ever come back now. I think this might be, this might just be it. Uh, he's still got the heart of the champion. He wants, to, He he's got to, like, if Dwight can come back from breaking his spine, I mean... Boogie can come back at most, you know, a Brook Lopez style where he's just Splash Mountain. How uh, ironic is it that the Clippers, where the core of that team is made up of Houston rejects, ends up beating the Warriors in Oracle? I think that's not only that is funny, but uh, this uh, 3-1 curse still haunts Kevin Durant. <laughs> I mean, it was a couple years ago they blew a 3-1 lead against the Warriors. Now they blew a 31-point lead. Uh, when will be the next curse of the 3-1? Um, it's 
a good point. I guess they got to go three one up in the series and then somehow blow that, which would be incredible. Does that mean they would win both games in L.A. and then lose their two final home games? Hey, it could happen next round. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. What do you think of the uh, jet fuel melt jazz dreams? Utah can't shoot enough threes to save their fucking playoff yeah. lives. Yeah, geez, that game was hard to watch, and I think it's a, it's it's a. This should be one of the best chess match series, in my opinion, because you've got, you know, no one on Jazz can really guard Harden at all. Uh, so you're constantly playing like catch up and trying to figure that out, and you notice in the game. They kind of did what the Bucks did a couple of weeks ago before the playoffs where they would just play him on one side exclusively. And uh, I think Brogdon was actually doing it a lot where they would just sit on his right and make him drive left the whole time. Or no, it was actually reverse. They sat on his left and made him drive right the whole time because right's his weekend because he's a lefty. And uh didn't quite work out for them. I think mostly it was due to how they were playing the uh, help defense on that. I think they were just not quite in sync with that strategy it seemed like um so you saw a lot of times like gobert would kind of jump out too early or uh favors or whoever was there and harden would just pass it right away it was just like it looked way too easy um and even this strategy got some notable instagram fame from uh agent zero himself he did three or four posts trying to break down how you guard harden he was saying, you know, instead of uh, sitting on his left and making him go right, where I guess it's easier to think about as a right-handed player. So, you know, if you're guarding a right-handed guy, you sit on his right, so he's got to use his left. However, you know, kind of the natural motion when you're a right-handed shooter is stepping back to the left with the ball kind of already in your left hand because uh, it's the least amount of, like, uh, kind of jerking back and forth to re-rotate your hips and your shoulders and everything. And it's kind of the more easier way. If you're going to Euro, you want to finish with your right. So if the ball starts in your left, it's a little bit easier and those kinds of things. Uh, So that was the case that Agent Zero is using to defend Harden. It says, hey, you guys are doing it backwards. You should sit on his uh, right side. So he does drive with his good hand because then he's basically only playing with one hand. And if he tries to shoot which he doesn't because he doesn't do free throw line jumpers. That's Chris Paul's game on that team. Uh, he won't do that. So then you know it's going to be a layup or a pass out. So I thought it was an interesting two cents that he put in. Uh, I think I think I think uh, Jazz are still trying to figure it out though. Yeah, the Jazz their help defense. I don't want to say it was poor, but it was it was basically outmatched because they couldn't defend on the weak side because then it means abandoning a shooter. And then you have a guy like Daniel House, you know, fucking G-Legger, like, coming up and taking some shots, or like Jail Green in that corner, you know? It's like, you can feel that the Jazz wanted to rotate when Harden has the ball, and he's um, basically playing the pick-and-roll game with Capella, and then... But you can't really do rotation help because then you're leaving a shooter open in the corner... And you know Houston, of all teams, is going to, like, fucking take that shot. And it's like, if guys like Joel Green and Austin Rivers and Daniel House are, like, making those, you're fucking toast. And then on the other side, it's like, who is going to 
get points to get them back into a game. Like if they go down by, I don't know, 12 points, it's like, who's going to get them back? It's really just Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and he did not have a very good game. I think it's part of that is, you know, the game one struggles, like I was saying, first game type of thing. But uh, they got to figure out how to really get him going because, I mean, he's your best ISO scorer. It looked like Rubio was for most of that game, which is uh, pretty bad if Rubio is your ISO scorer. Um, and, that, like, Ingles also of... was pretty rough, too. He only made, like, three yeah. or four points. It's actually kind of funny that I think Gordon Hayward would actually work really well on that Jazz team because he's a you know pretty decent defender, and then he can get his own shot. I don't know. It just looked like the ball on offense... It was like they needed ISO scoring because they're down, but then that was also kind of what prevented them from really getting back in the game because they don't shoot that many threes. Yeah. Except for Kyle Korver, so it's like you don't really have to worry too much about who's on the, you know, who's beyond the arc. Just kind of load up the paint against Donovan Mitchell or Ricky Rubio and Rudy Gobert. That's kind of been the Jazz problem really the, this year and last year was their three-point shooting, so that, I mean, that's part of the reason why they got Korver, but even then, I mean, you know, you're running set plays for him, you know, uh, and that only gets you so far, especially at end-of-game scenarios. Uh, so, it, I mean, it came down to pretty much everyone's predicted where the Jazz don't seem to have the firepower to keep up with Houston uh, if they get, you know, like you said, past 12-point lead or something like that. It just feels like the game's over because you're playing threes for twos at that rate. What do you make of the trend that kind of happened over the weekend where even teams that did have like a 15-point lead, the game wasn't necessarily done? You know, it really felt like in past years, if a team could just get it to like 15 points, you know, like they pretty much would lock down the lead. But now it's like we saw the Clippers come back. And then... Even with um, Philly Nets, it was like Philly had a lead, and then they kind of blew it to the Nets in the in game one. You know, we saw Orlando, you know, kind of fall a little bit behind and then come back. You know, it really doesn't feel like the 15-point lead is safe anymore, which is kind of makes up for some really weird basketball. Yeah. That's something I've been noticing, too, is like I remember playoff series, you know, Think about even the LeBron Miami days. It felt like if you had a 15 point lead, it's like might as well turn the game off. I don't know if it's, I think, I mean, a lot of it is obviously everyone shoots threes now, so that's five possessions rather than eight possessions, which is a big deal. I think a lot of that too is, I mean, especially on that first day, it felt like a shit show if people could even hold on to the ball. I mean, everybody was turning it over. I mean, I must have seen. In that first Golden State game, it looked like it must have had 20 turnovers at halftime. It was insane. Yeah, that was a rough cut. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just it seems really weird that you would think in the playoffs where possessions, you know, like if you lose the ball or you have a bad shot, it's like that should weigh more. But it's like even if you're down by 15 or in the Clippers case, like 31, it's like weird that you can somehow still have enough time. Like they were down by 20 with what 18 minutes to go. They were down by 31 with 18 minutes to go. Yeah, like that's fucking crazy that so they managed to even have enough time to come back. Yeah, but no, it's insane. And most of that, I think, is uh, 
our big boy Lou Williams, of course, he looked pretty much unstoppable at the end of the game there. Uh, even on just Locking ISO scenarios against Clay Thompson, which is kind of insane. Like, do we need to question Clay Thompson's defense on people smaller than him now? Uh, I don't know if to go that far. I think it's, I would say that he definitely looked slow, but then everybody on Golden State looked a bit slow. Um, you know, especially like Sean Livingston. Yeah. You know, Iggy had his moments, and I think Iggy is actually probably better. And like, he seems like he kind of saved himself for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He's gonna have a little bit more zip in his dunks and his three-point shooting. But Sean Livingston was just like, it's like, damn. Like, am I? Are we two years away from watching him turn into like Dirk, where it's like he can barely get up and down the floor like i know he's a mid-range guy but man like kind of look like a dinosaur at times on the floor i i mean i I was watching like i had the game on my tv here on my right which is like just off my side of my computer and i like had it on i was like doing something on the computer and you know i checked this thing at halftime it's like oh 72 to 50 or something like that it's like all right you know i'll just leave it on i'll you know get do some dishes or something like i come back in the third it's like 90 something to 60 i'm like okay so i just shut it off i was like well it's only like 10 o'clock here i might as well leave it on and then slowly but surely it was just like patrick beverly steal shaman steal you know beverly fouls out you know, uh, Draymond offensive foul. And then it was like Kevin Durant fouls out. And I was like, holy crap. That was a big one. They might actually do it. That was a big one. And yeah, I just, even when I was watching the replay, I was like, I don't understand how they managed to get back in this game. Like, they're not a prolific three-point shooting team. I think the crazy Golden part State was, is. <laughs> is there's like, like five or six moments where Patrick Beverly just strips a guy at full court. I'm like, holy yeah. crap. Like, <laughs> And they still like, won did with no one get the out. scouting report of Patrick Beverly? <laughs> and then Montrez Harrell had that monster dunk at the end where he just grabs that loose board and just rips it between three people. Like, uh... I guess I just figured once, especially once Kevin Durant fouled out, which obviously Kevin Durant had a terrible game just in terms of Kevin Durant, but I just kind of figured Steph and Clay, like one of those guys, would just start making threes and that'd be it. But maybe we're underestimating the idea of Boogie being on that team. Maybe boogie actually if they had boogie maybe they actually close out this game i think you know kind of like a reverse cp3 in the western conference finals last year it's like oh if they had him like maybe Uh, you can't deny though like kevon looney's actually been pretty good like if you look at his stats on the both games he's shot like seven of eight from the field with like 10 boards yeah but it's all in the paint like i mean mostly on that team it's if you're a big stay you know, towards the basket on the baseline and then look for a backdoor cut. Uh, yeah, all I'm saying is he's serviceable. He's not like completely useless. You know. Um, I mean, tell that to Montrez Harrell, man. Dude's fucking OP. Yeah, he's coming off the bench, though. I, yeah, I will but so say... is Lou Williams. Like, that entire team is like, in, in, that entire team is, is basically engineered to be a second unit team. And obviously, Golden State, this is probably their weakest second unit in. Probably like five, six years. Like this is probably the worst bench during this Golden State title run. And then the Clippers are basically built where their bench is actually their best part of the team. Yeah, Zubats is pretty good. Um, I'd like to flip back over to the East now because we kind of hit on this for a while now. The Clippers talk. Uh, Boban for the Sixers. 
the giant himself, dude. He was shooting 17 footers like six or seven times that game, and he made like nine of them or something. Like it's like fucking Kyle Washington reincarnate. It was like watching like 2010 power forwards where they'd shoot the pick and roll at 17 feet. I'm like. I totally didn't think he could do that. And he made like two threes too. I was so impressed. Did you happen to hear the crowd every time he had the ball? <laughs> no, I didn't. The crowd was fucking awesome. So I guess I was watching like the, the local stream or the local like Philly uh, station. And the crowd was just like, shoot, Boba, do it, Bobby. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fucking great. Like, it's like, man, how many people in this city even do who Boban was like three months ago? And now he's basically probably their favorite player after Embiid. I love it how uh, they kept how... cutting to D- Dikembe on the baseline every time he'd shoot two, and he would just... <laughs> just like AI at Dikembe, yeah. <laughs> uh, for a crowd that was booing him like two days ago, that's that's a nice turnaround. What do you think's up with Embiid? I'm actually pretty uh, seriously concerned about his health for like making it 16 games. Yeah, the way he's going, I don't think he gets into the late second round at all. I mean, he's, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, you can clearly see that he's not a hundred percent, but it's like, what else does this team do? At the same time, he just gets a lot of random contact. I mean, there was that replay yesterday where he, you know, elbowed Allen in the face, like MMA style. <laughs> should it maybe should have been a flagrant too. Who knows? He does. He does uh, dive for a lot of balls. You know, kind of the the meandering balls that might be going out of bounds. He'll go for those, and he'll bump into like a chair, like the it's like the he, base of the the base of the rim or stuff like that. And he'll just know? get random like knee knocks and like you know step on people's feet and that kind of stuff. It's just ah, oh, it's like those are the worst too. Because you know, getting your knees knocked a couple times, then you're like treading more gingerly and then that sets up your other knee for failure or something like that. It's, it's rough. Yeah. And he rolled his ankle. Uh, does I forget who, but somebody stepped on his foot when he was like trying to move. So then he actually kind of rolled his left ankle. Yeah. But so I'm pretty concerned about that. Uh, concerned enough it. that Philly might get knocked out of the first round. No, nah, they'll power through it, but I'd be concerned for the Toronto matchup. Well, I think the problem is that, it doesn't look like the Nets honestly might be my favorite fucking team in the playoffs right now. Didn't watch a whole lot of Nets basketball this season. Uh, they look fucking great. Love them on both sides of the ball. D'Angelo Russell is fucking awesome. Like he's just making every shot that he he wants over Ben Simmons, who's like a pretty competent defender. I mean, I, I was going to, I had my notes here that uh, I'm actually seriously concerned about Philly's defense. Um, and D'Angelo Russell is proving my point every time he steps on the floor. And Spencer Dinwiddie at that, too. And Karis LeVert. Like, the three-horse shooting guard uh, rotation that they have is, like, these guys are making threes. They're going inside. Like, they have all this unpredictable balance. It's like the Nets are good at shooting threes, but they don't overshoot like how kind of Houston does where it's like, you just know it's coming. It's like, they're pretty good at maintaining that sort of off balance offense where they kind of play inside, they play outside, they move the ball around. They do all these like kind of weird movements off the ball. It's they don't great. really have a bad guard. And the nice part is all three of those guards are like six, five too. So they're even oversized at that. Um, you know, you think like, Philly's kind of obviously their weak spot was 
you know, elite point guard defense, as has been the case pretty much all year. But usually you can get away with it, you know, if you're playing like, you know, Portland or somebody. It's like, all right, Dame's going to score 30, but then when the bench comes in, we'll have McConnell play Shabazz Napier or, you know, Seth Curry or something. And it's like not that bad. But like in this rotation where you've got basically three starting point guards or slash shooting guards, whatever you want to call them, you don't get a break on that Philly uh, defense. And, you, you, like, it felt like Boban and Embiid were getting just thrusted into pick and rolls. Even, uh, was it Mike or Muscala, too? Like, they're just making those guys, like... Oh, Mike Scott? Get, yeah, get uh, yeah Mike Scott. Sorry, I don't know why I said Muscala. That's the Lakers. But uh, they're just making those... Which is weird because, obviously, Kawhi will probably leave unless Toronto win the title. And it's like Kyle Lowry's clearly on borrow time with a really terrible shooting performance, but and then you throw in like Mark Gasol and, and Ibaka, it's like, it's kind of weird um, that we're kind of watching two teams that probably won't look the same in three months' time, but kudos to Steve Clifford, man. I mean, I don't know how the fuck they did it. Like, this is the biggest upset, I think, of the weekend. The biggest? I mean, I'd say the Clippers one's bigger, but for... I mean, it was bigger in terms of being down by 31, but we clearly saw this, you know, way earlier in the season with the Draymond KD fight game, which was the Clippers game. Like, we've seen, like, the Clippers being able to kind of irritate Golden State. Maybe not necessarily coming back from 31, but come on, who the hell thought that Orlando was going to travel north of the border and fucking beat Toronto on their home court when they have fucking Kawhi, who only played, like, 60 games all year. Like, you only played three quarters of the year in order to play the playoffs. Yeah, Orlando's might be the most nobody believes in us team now. Like, after these past two days. And they had Siakam, who's, you know, probably going to win most improved player of the year. You got Nick Nurse, kind of this new fresh coach, and it was like, it's, you know, you just kind of think it's like, it's not like Aaron Gordon was that great, and it's not like Vucevic was all that great. It was like fucking TJ Augustine. Now, now, not knowing that Kyle Lowry would go scoreless this game, what would you have bet on the line if Kyle Lowry would go scoreless in a playoff game this year? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I think that's I, a I don't know if I'm surprised. Take, <laughs> I don't know if I'm surprised. I am still disappointed. I don't know why I still have expectations for Toronto. I, I mean, I have them fucking going all the way to the finals, but it just kind of makes you think, like, damn, like, that ground's fucking haunted. <laughs> like, there's some weird juju shit going on in yeah, Canada. I don't, I'm not a fan, but I don't think he'll go squirrels again. I think he got his game under his belt. No, I don't think he's going to do, like, a Roy Hibbert type of uh, playoff run. <laughs> Yikes. All right, so let's head over to the West. Uh, the actual least watchable matchup and has been relegated to NBA TV. It is this bad. That is, of course, <laughs> the Spurs and the Nuggets. Uh, I didn't watch any of this. I didn't even know who won until a couple hours ago. Is the best case for this series the fact that San Antonio wins the first game? Because otherwise it's like the Nuggets win the first game, as expected, number two seed, blah, 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 blah. But it's like, oh, there might actually be some intrigue here that 
Oh, like like, the, like for the Nuggets are for viewership. You know, I mean they're the number two seed, but it always felt kind of hollow. Like they could have been a number one seed, and it still really felt hollow. It's like, ah, eh, they might be the number one seed, but I I don't think anybody even thought they were like the third best team in the West. Or maybe, you know, like third is like kind of the, the best that they was kind of their ceiling. Um, who do you think had it better? Uh, Nikola Jokic as the Joker or Joaquin Phoenix in a new Joker movie? <laughs> who do you think had more fun? Probably Joaquin, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that I think the Nuggets will not lose both on home, even though it kind of felt like they could like it doesn't feel unreasonable it definitely has the atmosphere of pelicans blazers from last year yeah it feels kind of similar i would agree with that and that was not a fun thing to watch as a portland fan it was a fun thing to watch as a pelican fan though geez that was hype (laughs) so if san antonio win they would face the winner of okc and portland you know, there is a a weird stretch here where Portland OKC kind of just beat each, each other to a pulp where it's like Paul George still isn't healthy and then obviously Nurkic is out. And it's like maybe CJ McCollum's not super healthy. And the Spurs kind of just keep sliding through. Yeah, that And they get to the back, conference yeah. finals. That would be really weird. That feels like a Warriors thing to do almost. Really, I think it feels like the most Spurs thing ever. It's just <laughs> no, no. I think like the the first couple years the Warriors made it. It's like they faced, you know, an injured Portland team. They faced uh, a weird Memphis team. Yeah, an injured Memphis team, an injured Pelicans team. You know, the CP3 thing from last year. It's like uh, you could make maybe obviously the Cavs in the 2015 finals. Yeah, you could make an argument Curry. they've had like the luckiest injury streak for the playoffs minus. Um, you could argue the the year they lost where like Steph was obviously not hundred percent and Draymond got ejected and that stuff. It just always feels like the Spurs you know, when, when I most doubt them, that's when they fucking get to the finals again. Yeah, they know a way somehow. Yeah. The only time I've ever like really believed the Spurs would ever win a title was oh seven when they faced the Cavs. And then fourteen I was like, all right, they're going to get their fucking revenge. Like, it's kind of inevitable. But this, if they, I mean, without Kawhi, this would be the most, I mean, could you imagine if Kawhi gets bounced in the first round and the Spurs make it in the second round? Yikes. Like, get Kawhi's uncle on the phone. <laughs> uh, Portland OKC. Enos Cantor, uh, fucking killing it. Almost had like a 2020 game. Yeah, so much for you can't play him on defense, right? He seemed okay. I mean, it wasn't like super fantastic, but he was passable. He's so fucking good on offense, who cares? Yeah, I, I was actually surprised at how well that uh, flowed, but I will say McCollum looked a little off, as kind of expected. You know, like, his shot was pretty much short the entire game. Like, it's in the front of the rim at almost every shot. Uh, yeah, actually, there was a lot of front rimming in a lot of games. I don't know. It's just it was one of these things where it was like you know kind of what we're talking about with like the lead, like no lead is safe. But also, a lot of teams were front rimming. Yeah, their threes, and I mean it's kind of most noticeable in Portland just because obviously CJ and uh, Dame shoot a lot of threes. Also, fucking Damian Lillard shooting like fucking like thirty plus footers, just casually. Yeah, 
<laughs> to begin the game. <laughs> I mean, dude, this 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 is a splash cousin. This is a mama's boy. I mean, he, yeah, it's not like he you can't do a Steph impression. No, I know he's like. I mean, honestly, you know, if we didn't have Steph, or if Steph never figured out how to fix his legs, like, you know, Dame would be the guy that we'd be talking about. But it's just like he opened up the game with a thirty footer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There were times in that game where I was just watching. I was like, "What the fuck, man! Like, this is like the best possible version in any universe of Dion Waiters." <laughs> oh man, I think the most thing you that I think is worth watching in the series is uh, the mysterious case of Paul George's right shoulder and what the heck's going on with that. Yeah, him and Embiid, right? It's just. It's just kind of lingering over those two series. Yeah, I almost like, okay, forget Westbrook and, you know, the Thunder, I guess, not having enough three-point firepower to stay in the series potentially. But, oh, and Seth Curry was pretty awesome too, by the way, off the bench. Uh, but, you know, it's there's this guy on YouTube, the medical doctor that does the basketball injuries, and he has a pretty good video about, how they're taping his shoulder and what injury it might be. Like he's trying to guess what it is just from how, what gear he's wearing during the game. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what he said, but uh, it's clear. It's like actually impacting him. Like you can see the numbers before and after the, the injury. Mm -hmm. And it's like a 10% dip in his field goal percentage, like uh, from threes and twos. Yeah. So it's pretty significant. I guess the, the kind of question is, how does OKC change their style, like their style, right? Because he's so integral to them on offense. Because Russ has been fucking terrible outside of the paint, and then on defense, he's you know kind of their pseudo anchor between him and Stephen Adams. It's how does OKC adapt if they can't really go with Paul George in crucial stretches of the game or? Because he still made like a three at the end of. Did he foul out of the game? Uh, I think he. I think he did. He might have. Yeah. I think he did. But before he like hit a three, to, was that to tie the game or give them? I think they had a, like a one lead. point lead or something like that. Yeah. So like he can still make a like a clutch three, but obviously you know you got to kind of use that sparingly. But it's like I don't know how they change. Because Russ has been so bad, except when he just goes 110% straight to the rim, like straight to the cup for a layup. Like, that's kind of the only way that he scores. Uh, the nice thing I liked from the Thunder, I think, is uh, Schroeder's definitely a guy that's given him a whole bunch of pluses while Paul George is not 100%. Uh, I really liked Schroeder's game. He was played a pretty efficient game on game one uh, in terms of scoring the ball, which is good because it gives you a... You know, when Westbrook's on the bench, or you can play them together, really, at that rate. Um, gives you, like, another good perimeter threat. And I think the other guy that you need to incorporate more is our X-Factor boy, Jerry and Grant, because he's got that Siakam-like frame, man. Like, you got to trust him a little bit more, I think. Uh, he can definitely get around, like, Evan Turner. I mean, come on. Yeah, it seems like the Thunder should actually go with a more traditional lineup of playing Jerry and Grant, Steven Adams together, just a 4-5 combo, to one, you know, kind of throw it to Cantor a little bit. <laughs> and also, Jerry and Grant can do a little bit uh, more switching on defense, which really helps out Paul George. 
Hey, he's one but, of my dudes, so I would I would agree with that. But I, I still can't figure out how OKC goes anywhere without Paul George. Yeah. Like, it just seems like such a non-starter. Also, Andre Roberson, is he going to come back? Do you know? Because he didn't play in game one. I mean, my guess is he's probably not going to play in the playoffs, but I've they kind of need it. It would only be like if they got to the finals, because that would be his time frame. Wow. Yeah. So he's basically out. Otherwise, like, that's a guy that you could, you would love to have just to throw on Dame a little bit and CJ. I mean, think if you so had a guy like Oladipo or like Dion Waiters or, you know. Drew Holiday. Yeah. Or a guy like Kevin Durant would be really good on this team. Maybe, maybe <laughs> even a guy like James Harden, you know. Fucking Kevin Durant, dude. <laughs> the so, ultimate luxury basketball. <laughs> tonight we've got the game two of that series, of course, at Portland. Portland taking care of business. I've got them pinned to win this one. I don't think it'll be. I think it'll be closer. You know, for everything that I said, I cannot rule out Russell Westbrook just going total fu mode and winning just, the game. Yeah, I mean, just just being so fucking pissed off. It's like it's it's kind of funny because like when he's matched up with Damian Lillard, it's like you realize that they're both where the the number zero, which is like kind of an odd number to pick for NBA players. But it's like I don't know. It's just like it's it's so it's like Russell can't shoot this year, but he goes really hard. And he's got the size, but then Dame kind of stretches out the floor more than anybody but Steph. Yeah. So it's like two different styles of basketball. It's a good matchup. It's definitely entertaining. It's it's I think it's maybe my second or third series like that I enjoy watching. Oh, this is good. Yeah, let's do a power rankings of watchability on these uh playoffs. So uh let's see, there'd be eight series. The worst one so uh, far. <laughs> worst has got to be, it's got to be San Antonio, Denver, right? In terms of just, uh, you know, I really don't want to watch these games, but, you know, I'm kind of glad I don't work at the ringer, so I have to actually watch these games. It's like, I'm glad I'm just kind of like in a casual NBA fan. So I was going to say, maybe you could make it tied at this point, but if Blake's not playing for the Pistons, it's got to be Bucks Pistons. I don't know. I, watching Giannis still, you think it's he's still enough magical? of a draw. Yeah, just because... Just because he's, I don't, I don't know how much you, you, you know about like the NFL, but like ten years ago, the Steelers had this player named Troy Polamalu, who basically just kind of ran like a wild card. He just kind of ran all over the fucking like field doing whatever he wanted. And Giannis kind of feels the same way. It's like, especially now where it's like he's really got free license to do whatever he wants against the Pistons teams. It's just like, just watching like Giannis is like, it's, it's like watching oh five LeBron. It's just like oh here's a guy that's gonna win this game. Doesn't matter fucking who he's playing or what he's doing. It's like that's all he wants. I feel like it's not watchable because the contest isn't there. The outcome's definitely not in question. I don't know if I need a close game to make it interesting. Okay. Sometimes I think blowouts can be interesting, like Golden State. Like Golden State is still fun to watch, just in terms of their offensive ball movement. Even when they were up by thirty points, obviously it's better when they collapse. But all right, so. What, I can, I can what see else? What, what's uh? What's your next tier of watchability? Uh, I would say Houston, Utah. Yeah. Just not not really a Jazz fan. No offense. And 
not really into the watching Houston unless they play like Golden State or OKC or Portland where I don't know, like watching Harden play against the Jazz, it's just I just have a hard time watching Harden. And also I'm not gonna lie, the Jazz aren't super fun to watch on TV. They're really good in the stadium, but on TV they're kinda meh. Yeah, and you know, this is probably gonna piss you off, but like not a Donovan Mitchell fan. That's okay. I don't like black people just, either. It's just the way he runs, the way he like dribbles the ball, I don't know why it just bothers me. I guess I, I've I've watched too much of the gazelle that is Ben Simmons, which is like the perfect way of how to dribble with a fucking basketball. And then he watched like Donovan Mitchell, and it's just like I don't know. He like he just lands really weird when he like dribbles. I have a hard time watching them except for the fourth quarter because <laughs> then you get to actually see like not play calls by the Jazz where they're like playing the Spurs offense and then they kind of go back to like modern basketball theory where you just ISO to end games. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, you're actually going to do pick and rolls with someone in Gobert for the entirety of the fourth quarter. That's actually entertaining. Um, let's see, after that, oh, Boston Indy, I think, after that. Boston Indy's just middle on everything. Middle entertainment, kind of middle of the road scoring, just kind of, just kind of in the middle of everything. I'd agree. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. So then, your kind of top tier watchability rankings. Uh, I still think there's one more tier. So, um, and that would be like Toronto, Orlando. Your B minus tier. Yeah, like Toronto, Orlando, where it's like, oh, this is only fun if like the shit team wins. Um. Same thing kind of with, like, Warriors-Clippers. Like, this is only fun as long as the Clippers can keep it interesting. Um, they they both kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. And then top-tier Portland-OKC, two, And honestly, like, Philly-Nets. I just fucking love watching both of those teams. Didn't realize that, like, I really missed a lot of good Nets basketball this year. I would agree with you, uh, except... I would put I would put the Clippers in that top tier list because I think watching Patrick Beverly guard Kevin Durant and then get into <laughs> spouting matches with Draymond is so much reality TV in one basketball game. It's amazing. Oh, there was another weird matchup somewhere that I remember where it's like a short dude guarding a really tall dude. Uh, it's going to bother me that I can't remember this on the, on the you spot. Mean like when but... they put Chris Paul and Kevin Durant last year in the Houston series? Yeah, I can't remember who was doing what, but it was just like I remember watching like one of these series. You oh, know, these games like kind of Jared Dudley on Boban. Oh, that yes, that's it. Fuck yeah! I was just like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah, <laughs> like whose idea was this? It worked. <laughs> yeah, but then RIP Jared Dudley for game two. Yeah, it's like, oh man, if that got you one win, that's kind of sad. Uh, uh, I guess did the Clippers essentially kill off? KD returning to this team and slash Boogie returning to this team slash kind of the first chink in the armor of the end of Golden State Dynasty. Would you like to rephrase that in a less racist manner for the San Francisco fan racist? base? What? So so it's uh, I think it kind of is 
it's really more of that wake-up call that it seems like Golden State always gets in that first round where, I mean, it happened in the Pelican series where, you know. Yeah, Anthony yeah, this is something you mentioned a lot. Yeah. This is, this is kudos, kudo eye test uh, type stuff from you. Wait, I can't, are you being sarcastic? No, no, like, oh. I'm, like I'm pretty genuine about this. Like, I, I you know, I have only, you know, I only kind of half listened to your off-the-take theories, but you've really brought up a good point about, like, the best time to face Golden State is in the first round. Like, normally I've been like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you never want to play Golden State. Like, doesn't matter what fucking round it is. But then it's like, oh, yeah, you know what, Matt's right. Like, yeah, fucking beat him in the first round. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been preaching this theory for almost three years now. <laughs> like the best time to to face them is early when they don't have their act together, when, uh, you know the sort of global, you know, eye is not on you. It's not like the finals where everybody's watching and it's super yeah, high it's pressure. Yeah, it's the only games. Yeah, you can kind of sneak a game in. You know, at ten thirty when the East Coast is asleep. Oh, we got a thirty-one point comeback at you know at one a.m. Oh, <laughs> where does the panic meter go if the Clippers go up two-one in the series? You just concede. You just give it to them. You say you our, give it to the Clippers. You say we're, we're the team to that Seattle. traded away their best player. <laughs> you, what you say is we're moving Golden State to Seattle. Forget the new arena. The team with no All Stars beats the team of five All Stars. Poetic justice at its finest. Yeah, that would be that would be super crazy. I I don't know if they'll get another game. I feel like they could, but it's still pretty high probability they won't. Would, would that be the biggest upset in playoff in the NBA playoffs since 07 when Golden State knocked off the one seeded Mavs? I think it'd be bigger. It would be bigger, 100. percent Bigger? Okay, so then we'd go to the 04 finals where Detroit beats the Lakers in five. I think it's on that level. I don't think it's it's quite as crazy though because obviously Detroit wins the championship. But... Fifteen years. Yeah, but I mean they're facing like Kobe and Shaq in their prime. Well, also the fact that you upset them in the championship series is like a huge deal. That's a good point. That's a good point. Wow. So we're talking fifteen years. This is basically like our entire NBA watching lives, essentially, for you and me. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all bored. I mean, it's also just amazingly fun to watch Steve Ballmer's reactions every time they pan to him on that game. It's amazing. Yeah, you know what? We didn't really get like a, a good NCAA Cinderella tourney run. This, yeah. this is it. No, this, this is definitely it. And I, I'm sorry, but like. We keep on going back to the Clippers for some reason. <laughs> like they they all play like ridiculously hard. Like active hands. Stock Rivers, man. They seem to be going in the right spot. Like it feels really good to watch that like a team without star power. Like it reminds me of those Bulls teams when Derrick Rose is gone. Like they just do the right thing. They play super freaking hard. But they obviously aren't like the defense, I mean, they're pretty good defensively, but they aren't like Joe Kim Noah, Luol Deng defensive talent, you know? Yeah, I guess this whole thing really has come full circle that the Clippers and the Nets are kind of the two standouts from the weekend. You know, both kind of the 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 B teams in their respective cities. It'd only be greater if, like, the Nets were playing somebody that could move there. 
like in the off season. You know, the funny thing about the Clippers is like we're saying, okay, Kevin Durant in New York, but you know, the Kevin Durant to LA thing isn't like out of the realm of possibility either. Yeah, you know what? You know what else I could see happening is Kawhi and KD. Not you know, like LA Clippers kind of makes sense. I don't think if we've ever really discussed that Kawhi and KD could team up on the Knicks. Like watching that Orlando game, I was like, man, Kawhi's fucking out of here. It's just like, where would he go? And it's like, you know what? Maybe he goes to the Knicks with KD. But then where does Kyrie go? That's what I'm saying. I, I think Kyrie's like, I think this might be a thing where it's like, KD, you know, he's kind of a cupcake ass bitch anyway, where it's like, you know, he's like all buddy buddy with like Kyrie, but when like push comes to shove, he's like, I'd rather play with Kawhi, <laughs> the guy who doesn't have like a million knee problems. Yeah. Get Kemba there too. Put it, I'm putting yeah. it on the table. Kawhi, KD, Zion, the Knicks. It's all in the mix now. Might as well grab Jimmy Butler and Kemba while you're at it. Nah, fuck Jimmy Butler, dude. I'm sorry. He looks washed in that Philly Nets series. He just looks washed. I feel like he's got to go back to the Bulls. That's his only answer. Wow. You know, that's probably the first time we've mentioned the Bulls in two months. Yeah. Since probably the quadruple overtime game against the Hawks. Shout out to the Bulls. Hey, <laughs> they, you know they got they got a bright future. Maybe they get the Zion pick. You know they're pretty. They bad have team. a bright future. They fucked up their tanking and they ended up fourth. They still can get Zion. I mean, it's not out. It's not that I, bad. I know, but still, it's like at least like if you get the number one pick, it's like the worst you can be. I think is a third pick, like the third pick in the draft. If you like the Knicks, I think the worst that they could fall is the third. I mean, still pretty good versus 10%? You... I mean, that's not that bad. No, but, like, if you're the Knicks and let's say you don't get the first or second pick, it's like, yeah, you miss out on Zion and probably R.J. Barrett, but then it's like you still got Cam Reddish and Ja Moran, but then it's like if you're the Bulls and you slide down to six, I mean... Oh, you traded away. <laughs> you I traded away 100%. For, for what? <laughs> I don't know. You Who's going to want the sixth pick in the draft? You package it for like uh Does they're sitting on the auto porter contract? You Maybe gotta Jabari. you gotta like give it to Phoenix or like Sacramento or some team that's willing to take a dumb pick like that. I don't think so. I think the Kings are oh the Kings, yeah. The Kings have hired Luke Walton. I mean we kind of predicted this because we were like, oh, like it, it makes natural sense that like when the Kings fire, like, oh, they should just go after Luke Walton. Kinda just fits their style. And yeah, so Yeager's getting uh, a job it, somewhere, right? Like he's gotta get hired, right? Yeah, he looks pretty good, right? Uh, Charlotte? Phoenix? No, I mean, I guess Charlotte's coach is still new, but... Cleveland? The Bulls? Cleveland. Cleveland. Okay. They got a rebuild with Zion, Jaeger. Man, that's a character I haven't seen in a long time. J.R. Smith. Wow. Nobody has. He's basically gone missing. <laughs> And those good, good, old, good old days of Cleveland sports. I mean, the biggest thing is J.R. Smith's defining career moment is going to be his game one fuck up. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, you're right. Which is sad because he actually out-rebounded Kevin Durant, which is 
Like, that's fucking awesome, but then he completely fucked it up. <laughs> so, wow. as only J.R. Smith could do. All right, folks. Uh, any other thoughts on the first round? Or, I guess, not even first round, really just game ones of the first round. Well, according to the bracket, we're still in the clear because we didn't predict any sweeps. So, we're good on that regard. Really? We didn't pre predict a, a Bucks Detroit sweep? We actually we, gave. Well, we thought Blake was. Oh, playing. we gave Blake Griffin. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, we're technically still in the clear. Yeah. Um, I didn't think we expected the upsets to come on the away floor, though. Like, that, that was wild. All right, so uh, I guess looking forward, what would be the biggest shock for the next couple of days? LeBron James joins the inside the NBA crew <laughs> to cast uh, Boston, Indiana, and Denver Spurs. You know, it'd be great if if LeBron had like his competing Kobe ESPN detail thing, where LeBron is just sitting courtside with, um. I don't know, like Kevin Harlan or, or like one of those dudes, like Ryan Rico or something, and he's just like discussing like Jason Tatum's footwork against Indiana. You know, he's just like, he really got to watch Jason he Tatum fucking on the series. Me. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, I, I think, uh, oh yeah, those Kobe Bryant details. I think those are coming out like either today or tomorrow for sort of the opening weekend highlights, which uh, that'll be pretty dope. Those are always Do a you good like watch. Them? Yeah. I don't know if I like him. It seems like he's trying too hard. Which, I mean, it's Kobe, so he is always trying too hard, but... I think they were really good last year. Uh, I He supposedly did some for the, like, women's NCAA, but I didn't watch those. So, I'll have to check those out, too. Um, another cool thing coming up is, of course, the Big Three tournament... That starts, uh, actually, I think it starts uh, in May, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think will be better, Big 3 tournament or uh, Vegas Summer League? Is Zion playing in the Summer League? I don't know. I don't know. That's it's what like I was thinking about. sit out, too. It's like a lot of the number ones sit out of the Summer League. Yeah, there's really no reason to fuck it up. Um, but at the same time, it's like Summer League was super popular last year. I mean, Lonzo played... Unless they put him in the summer league in order to keep his weight down, that's a, not a bad idea. But wouldn't you just be better just like training him rather than playing games and like resting and stuff? He's got to show off the new shoes. Ooh, that'd be a big deal. I don't know if they've really talked about what contract he's got yet. I don't think anything's come out of that yet. But I'd be interested to no. see. Could be like Zion could be the guy to revolutionize the Vegas summer league by. Dropping his shoes at the same time. The the new premier Reebok athlete. I mean, just talk about like completely stealing the moment around Vegas Summer League, right? I mean, the it's kind of like a dead part of. Oh, the, I could uh... totally go to that this year. Dude, tickets oh, to shit, that are really right. cheap. I should ah, do fuck. that. Spend a couple days in Vegas, go to a couple of Summer League games. Vegas is dope. Vegas is actually really awesome. It's 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 on the Michael list of uh, top American cities. It'd be like 120 degrees, but it'd be worth it inside the. Uh, Dude, top you're inside arena. all the time. Like yeah. you're just in the fucking casinos and stuff all the time. Yeah, you're in a desert. Why would you be outside? <laughs> all right. So you have to walk in between the casinos. <laughs> what would be your prediction for the first person in this playoffs 
this year to have a 40, now let's go 50 point game. Who's going to get it? 50 points? Yeah. Someone can do it. Seems like this is the I year. mean, the natural inclination is, is Harden, right? Like, I mean, it's like, just statistically, right? Like, he shoots 12, 13 threes a game. So it's like, if he gets hot one night and he makes nine, well, there you go. He's got 27 points. Then tack on 10 free throws and he's at 37. It's like, oh, okay, he really only has to score, like, seven or eight more shots and he's made 50. Uh, but that just seems a little too obvious. I'm going to go with, uh, D'Angelo Russell. Okay. Wow. I was, I was thinking, he shoots enough say, threes. Uh, I was going to say Dame actually. I think Dame could get a Oh, Dame would be a good 50. one. Yeah. It's got to be a guy who shoots enough threes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And he's got to be a guy who's going to get the ball enough, like in his hands. So it's like Harden. Dame would make sense just with CJ and Nurkic at kind of on the in and out. And then I'm trying to think if anybody else could possibly Do we get one of those Clay Thompson games where he takes one dribble? Yeah, yeah I mean 16? maybe like a like a Katie or a Clay or a Steph, I mean they can do it, but I don't think they will. I think I think it'll actually be one of those maybe Kyrie. I can see Kyrie doing it. Not in this series though, maybe next series. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess there's really only like a hit, like three guys, right? Harden, Dame, and then I mean, if we're really stretching, D'Angelo Russell, that's kind of it. All right. And with that, do folks... you think Ben Simmons will will break thirty at any point in the playoffs, any round of the playoffs? No. I want to take the <laughs> under on that one. Twenty nine and that a sounds half. Like a, that sounds like a really good bet, actually. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up for this episode of Hard in the Paint podcast. Of course, you can find us at SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, all those amazing places. Uh, we always, of course, love your feedback, your questions, comments, and concerns in the either the comments section below, or you can find us at the email or in the direct messages. And uh, we appreciate the uh, thumbs up, the likes, the favorites, the subscribes, anything that you guys like to do to show support for this. And uh, we'll be back with more first-round coverage with what season or what series do you think will end first? If you had to guess right now. Uh, do the Bucks play today? No. Okay. Because then I was going to say, if they played two games by now, then it's kind of right there. Do the Nuggets play today? The Nuggets do play. I'll say San Antonio beats... Uh, the Nuggets in a reverse sweep. Okay, so you're. Oh predicting... shit! Wait, Boston Indy could also. Did Boston and Indy play today? No. It's uh. Portland plays today, and Orlando plays today. I'll say San Antonio, Denver, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's like Boston Indy or Detroit. Milwaukee, I'll give us a not... Portland. I'll I'll say Portland four O's the Thunder. They're done by Friday of this week. <laughs> That's my hot take to close out this episode. We'll catch you all on the flip flop.